Section 15 of Bird Stories from Burrows by John Burrows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bird Stories from Burrows. The Woodthrush. The woodthrush is the handsomest species of the thrush family. In grace and elegance of manner, he has no equal. Such a gentle, high-bred air, and such inimitable ease and composure in his flight and movement. He is a poet in every word and deed. His carriage is music to the eye. His performance of the commonest act, as catching a beetle or picking a worm from the mud, pleases like a stroke of wit or eloquence. Was he a prince in the olden time? And do the regal grace and mien still adhere to him in his transformation? What a finely proportioned form, how plain yet rich his colour, the bright russet of his back, the clear white of his breast, with the distinct heart-shaped spots. It may be objected to Robin that he is noisy and demonstrative. He hurries away or rises to a branch with an angry note, and flirts his wings in ill-bred suspicion. The thrasher or red thrush sneaks and skulks like a culprit, hiding in the densest alders. The catbird is a coquette and a flirt, as well as a sort of female Paul Pry, and the shewink shows his inhospitality by espying your movements like a detective. The wood thrush has none of these underbred traits. He regards me unsuspiciously, or avoids me with a noble reserve, or, if I am quiet and incurious, graciously hops toward me, as if to pay his respects or to make my acquaintance. I have passed under his nest within a few feet of his mate and brood, when he sat near by on a branch eyeing me sharply, but without opening his beak. But the moment I raised my hand toward his defenceless household, his anger and indignation were beautiful to behold. What a noble pride he has! Late one October, after his mates and companions had long since gone south, I noticed one for several successive days in the dense part of the next-door wood, flitting noiselessly about, very grave and silent, as if doing penance for some violation of the code of honour. By many gentle, indirect approaches, I perceived that part of his tail feathers were undeveloped. The sylvan prince could not think of returning to court in this plight, and so, amid the falling leaves and cold rains of autumn, was patiently biding his time. It is a curious habit the wood thrush has of starting its nest with a fragment of newspaper or other paper. Except in remote woods, I think it nearly always puts a piece of paper in the foundation of its nest. Last spring, I chanced to be sitting near a tree in which a wood thrush had concluded to build. She came with a piece of paper nearly as large as my hand, placed it upon the branch, stood upon it a moment, and then flew down to the ground. A little puff of wind caused the paper to leave the branch a moment afterward. The thrush washed it eddy slowly down to the ground when she seized it and carried it back. She placed it in position as before, stood upon it again for a moment, and then flew away. Again the paper left the branch and sailed away slowly to the ground. The bird seized it again, jerking it about rather spitefully, I thought. She turned it round two or three times then laboured back to the branch with it, upon which she shifted it about 
as if to hit upon some position in which it would lie more securely. This time she sat down upon it for a moment, and then went away, doubtless with the thought in her head that she would bring something to hold it down. The perverse paper followed her in a few seconds. She seized it again and hustled it about more than before. As she rose with it toward the nest, it in some way impeded her flight, and she was compelled to return to the ground with it. But she kept her temper remarkably well. She turned the paper over and took it up in her beak several times before she was satisfied with her hold, and then carried it back to the branch, where, however, it would not stay. I saw her make six trials of it when I was called away. I think she finally abandoned the restless fragment, probably a scrap that held some breezy piece of writing. For late in the season, I examined the nest and found no paper in it. How completely the life of a bird revolves about its nest, its home. In the case of the wood thrush, its life and joy seem to mount higher and higher as the nest prospers. The male becomes a fountain of melody. His happiness waxes day by day. He makes little triumphal tours about the neighborhood and pours out his pride and gladness in the ears of all. How sweet, how well-bred is his demonstration, but let any accident befall that precious nest, and what a sudden silence falls upon him. Last summer, a pair of wood thrushes built their nest within a few rods of my house, and when the enterprise was fairly launched and the mother bird was sitting upon her four blue eggs, the male was in the height of his song. How he poured forth his rich melody, never in the immediate vicinity of the nest, but always within easy hearing distance. Every morning, as promptly as the morning came, between five and six, he would sing for half an hour from the top of a locust tree that shaded my roof. I came to expect him as much as I expected my breakfast, and I was not disappointed till one morning I seemed to miss something. What was it? Oh, the thrush had not sung this morning. Something is the matter, and recollecting that yesterday I had seen a red squirrel in the trees not far from the nest, I at once inferred that the nest had been harried. Going to the spot, I found my fears were well grounded. Every egg was gone. The joy of the thrush was laid low. No more songs from the treetop, and no more songs from any point till nearly a week had elapsed. When I heard him again under the hill, where the pair had started a new nest, cautiously tuning up, and apparently with his recent bitter experience still weighing upon him. There is no nest builder that suffers more from crows and squirrels and other enemies than the wood thrush. It builds as openly and unsuspiciously as if it thought all the world as honest as itself. Its favorite place is the fork of a sapling, eight or ten feet from the ground, where it falls an easy prey to every nest robber that comes prowling through the woods and groves. It is not a bird that skulks and hides like the catbird, the brown thrasher, the chat or the shoewink, and its nest is not concealed with the same art as theirs. Our thrushes are all frank, open-mannered birds, but the veery and the hermit build on the ground, where they may at least escape the crows, owls and jays, and stand a good distance of being overlooked by the red squirrel and weasel also, while the robin seeks the protection of dwellings and outbuildings. For years I have not known the nest of a wood thrush to succeed. During the season referred to, I observed but two, both apparently a second attempt, as the season was well advanced and both failures. In one case, the nest was placed in a branch that an apple tree 
standing near a dwelling held out over the highway. The structure was barely ten feet above the middle of the road, and would just escape a passing load of hay. It was made conspicuous by the use of a large fragment of newspaper in its foundation, an unsafe material to build upon in most cases. Whatever else the press may guard, this particular newspaper did not guard this nest from harm. It saw the egg and probably the chick, but not the fledgling. A murderous deed was committed above the public highway, but whether in the open day or under cover of darkness I have no means of knowing. The frisky red squirrel was doubtless the culprit. The other nest was in a maple sapling, within a few yards of the little rustic summer-house already referred to. The first attempt of the season, I suspect, had failed in a more secluded place under the hill, so the pair had come up nearer the house for protection. The male sang in the trees nearby for several days before I chanced to see the nest. The very morning I think it was finished, I saw a red squirrel exploring a tree but a few yards away. He probably knew what the singing meant as well as I did. I did not see the inside of the nest, for it was almost instantly deserted, the female having probably laid a single egg which the squirrel had devoured. One evening, while seated upon my porch, I had convincing proof that musical or song contests do take place among the birds. Two wood thrushes who had nests nearby sat on the top of a dead tree and pitted themselves against each other in song for over half an hour, contending like champions in the game and certainly affording the rarest treat in wood thrush melody I had ever had. They sang and sang with unwearied spirit and persistence, now and then changing position or facing in another direction, but keeping within a few feet of each other. The rivalry became so obvious and was so interesting that I finally made it a point not to take my eyes from the singers. The twilight deepened till their forms began to grow dim. Then one of the birds could stand the strain no longer. The limit of fair competition had been reached, and seeming to say, I will silence you anyhow, it made a spiteful dive at its rival, and in hot pursuit the two disappeared in the bushes beneath the tree. End of section 15